just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. This is the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully you had a great week. We're headed into the weekend, so that's a good thing. And that kind of leads me to what I want to talk about in the first part of this podcast. You know, if you only knew me from TikTok or the podcast or uh, YouTube or for Instagram, you would think I'm this intense guy constantly fighting against Republicans, Donald Trump, injustice, that I was mad all the time and I was ranting all the time. And that couldn't be any further from the truth. You see, if I'm doing four or five TikToks, it might take me an hour to do. If I'm doing a 40-minute podcast, it might take me an hour, hour and a half to do. I will spend some time watching news, reading about news, and try to get my head filled with what, in fact, is going on out there. But the bulk of my time isn't spent worrying about this stuff, being angry about this stuff, or even being upset about it. People will come to me when I do a TikTok and say, what are you so upset about? Calm down, old man. Well, the fact of the matter is I'm pretty calm all the time. Since I was very young, I learned to not get too emotional about things, especially things like this, because you need to pace yourself. You can wear yourself out or drive yourself crazy by being too passionate. What I try to do is take the information, deliver it in such a way where we can enter into a debate. Give the facts as you know them and let the chips fall where they may. But still, there are some people that think, okay, this guy is intense all the time. That's all he thinks about. That's all he talks about. And that's not the case. Now, I'm sure there are some folks out there like that. They're so angry, they're so upset that they're constantly ranting or negative about every certain circumstance. But you have to look at it this way. Why are we angry? Why are we fighting? Why are we pushing back? Because we want to protect our lives and the way of life that we enjoy. We want to protect the futures of our kids and our grandkids. And that's a noble thing. We should all want to do that. But we can't continually fight all day, every day, push and be intense and just keep struggling every day. We have to take time to enjoy the life we're trying to protect. You know what I mean? It's important to think about these things. It's important to talk about these things because public opinion is powerful. Benjamin Franklin told us it is our duty to speak out against our government because he knew what would happen if we didn't. This country has been apathetic too long, and that's why we're in the position we are in now. Now people are scared and angry, and they're speaking up and speaking out, and they should be, but they got to keep it up. But at the same time, don't discount what you're fighting for, your life, your way of life. That's why it's important to fight when you have to fight, push when you have to push, argue when you have to argue. But you got to keep those in limited sections. You still got to enjoy life. That's what you're fighting for, so enjoy it. 
None of us are going to be here forever. So it's important we don't lose a single day of enjoyment that we've earned throughout our lifetime. And what I mean about that, do what you do and then let it go and don't let it emotionally hold you down for the rest of the day. Do it, let it go, and then enjoy life. Do the things you enjoy. Be with the people you love. And that's what I try to do. So when you see me on on uh, TikTok or here in the podcast, it may seem like I'm always intense, but I'm not. And I'm hoping that you're not either. I'm hoping that you take the time to enjoy what you are protecting. I've got a, um, you know, especially with COVID being over, now's the time we can get back together with friends and family. Enjoy that camaraderie, that brotherhood. And I think that's been part of the problem, why everything's been so negative and so adversarial for the last, well, four years, but certainly in the last year, it's been particularly rough. It's because we've all been forced to separate ourselves from everybody we love and and want to be with because of this COVID thing. Now it's opening up. So I'm hoping that once it opens up, it allows us the opportunity to get back together and maybe bring some of that love and warmth back into society. It should help anyway. But it's important for you to make that kind of time available. Because if you take all the things you do in a day, go to work, do the lawn, argue with people about politics. The most important thing is how you spend your time with your family, how you enjoy this life. Because when you die, there's only one thing with you at the very end. Your loved ones, of course. But there's only one thing you carry with you. There's only one thing that you own at that moment just before you die. That's your memories and your experiences. You need to cherish those memories and experiences. Carry them with you proudly and fondly. And they will come with you till that last moment in time you spend on earth. They are the most valuable things you own. So you need to protect them and you need to cultivate them. What I mean by that is make more memories, have more experiences, spend more time with your family. I'll tell you a situation I've got coming up in a couple of days. My son and daughter-in-law had a baby in April of 2020, little girl. She's the cutest little thing you ever saw. And I got to see her from the time she was born up to now, but it was sporadic because of the COVID situation. My son and his wife were very cautious and very careful about this COVID thing with a small baby, and that's understandable. Now, in that whole time, she's a year and, well, she's about 14 months old right now. And in all that time, in that year's time, nobody on my side of the family has been able to meet my new granddaughter. My brothers, my sisters, my nieces, my nephews, none of them have been able to meet her because of this COVID situation. So on Saturday, my wife and I are putting together a party where all of my side is coming to this party. And the special (laughs) special guest is our little granddaughter. She's making her debut and she's cute and adorable and everybody is excited to meet her. Now, with all the things going on in this world, whether it be Donald Trump, whether it be the infrastructure bill, the voting rights bill, any of those things, none of those are nearly as important as that party on Saturday 
when my family gets to meet my granddaughter. That is a moment that I will remember till the end of my days. That will be an experience I relish forever. And that's what's important. So as you listen to the TikToks and the podcast to me and other people, understand there's some important information given out there. We need to fight. We need to push. But we also need to experience and enjoy our lives because that's what we're fighting for. For me right now, it's that party on Saturday where I get to see my granddaughter and all of my family gets to meet her for the first time. There's nothing that I've been more excited about in probably 20 years than that day. And I'm going to relish that day. And we all have our own days and our own experiences that are important to us. We need to focus on those, the rants and the arguments and the mad and and the upset. They should come in their appropriate times, but they should not hang over you all day, every day. That's not nearly as important as what you have with your family and friends and your daily experiences. So enough preaching about that, and I'm not suggesting any of you don't already do that, but I know that there are some people that think I'm this intense guy, and I'm not. Um, And there are other people that are so angry and upset, that's all they can feel and that's all they do. You really need to enjoy your life, have your life experiences. Now that COVID is essentially done and we can get together, we've got to capitalize on that. Hopefully that'll bring a softer tone to our society, to country, because it's something we need. It's been very adversarial for a long time and we're getting tired of it. I want to do, uh, talk about a few different things in politics. I'll try not to rant. I'm so excited about Saturday. I, I don't really want to rant. I can't be mad. I'm very excited to seeing that little girl again and showing her off to all of my family. But, but there are some things going on in the news that we need to know about, we need to think about. And uh, first of all, you know, the Republicans have been trying to shut down Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, for more than 10 years. Since it came into inception, they've been trying to shut it down. Now, they've constantly told us, well, we've got a better plan. It's all-inclusive. It's cheaper. It's better. Just wait. We'll have it for you. We never saw it. Then Donald Trump ran for president. He told everybody, oh, yeah, we got the bill. Yeah, the health bill's easy. No problem. Once I get into office, we'll get this all squared away. But they didn't expose this new plan. Instead, they were doing all they could to shut down the Affordable Care Act. Now, that's fine if you want to do that, but it would seems reasonable that you would have some kind of replacement so that people aren't left out in the cold after you do shut it down, if in fact you can do that. Well, Donald Trump made a lot of promises when he came into office most of which he didn't come through with at all. And uh, the new idea for the health care plan, never saw a thing. We had some ideas thrown around. But the actual plan never came together in four years of Donald Trump's presidency. And that was one of the pillars of the promises he made when he became president. So even still, even though they have no plan, even though we were in the middle of a pandemic, when is the worst time that people should be without health care, 
they were still trying to tear it down. The Republicans wanted to tear it down. And you know why they wanted to tear it down? Well, I'll tell you why. First of all, because Obama did it. It says Obamacare. Oh, those Republicans hated that Obama was ever in office. They hated even more that he had two terms. And what they hated most to us, he was black. And he wasn't Republican. So they had to discount him in some way. Remember, they tried to say, oh, he wasn't born here. The birth of thing. Yeah, they didn't prove that. They were wrong about that. So Obama comes out with the first health care plan that we've seen in many presidential terms. They all talked about doing it, but at least Obama did it. It may not have been perfect. And people like to blame Obama for it not being perfect. Well, it's not all Obama's fault. If Obama would have been able to put together the plan he wanted to put together, it would have been much better. But the reason there were some flaws in the Obamacare was because there was a lot of horse trading going on to get it passed at all. The Republicans wanted to take out things, wanted to add things, and they weren't doing it to make it better. They were doing it to cause it to fail. So the flaws and the problems you see in the Affordable Care Act, you might want to thank the Republicans for that because they were doing everything they could to undermine um, Barack Obama and the Affordable Care Act. You don't believe it? Well, Mitch McConnell said when Obama came into office, he said he was going to stonewall everything he does and make sure that he's a one-term president. There was no idea of negotiations or compromise or working across the aisle. He just wanted to shut Obama down and block everything he did. Well, he couldn't block the Affordable Care Act, but they did try to sabotage it. And they kind of did. But did Obama suffer? No, he got two terms. He's a well-respected president now in his retirement. The only people that suffered because of those deficiencies in Obamacare were us. And again, you can thank the Republicans for that. They're the ones that did it. They're the ones that are responsible. So, anyway... We keep getting the Affordable Care Act attacked by Republicans. And there was one more case at the Supreme Court. This is the third case brought to the Supreme Court to try to bring down Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. And this one was finally shut down, too. It was shut down by the Supreme Court by 7 to 2. Alito and Gorsuch were the only Supreme Court members that voted against it. So it upheld the Obamacare Affordable Care Act for a third time. And I'm starting to understand that we may be finally closing a door on this constant attack on Obamacare. I know the Democrats want to enhance it and make it better. And frankly, that's something that needs to be done. Obamacare is not perfect. It's not the ultimate answer. We need something more in this country, and the pandemic is proof enough that's why we need it. Because we saw what happened when a disaster occurred. A lot of people struggled. A lot of people died. 600,000 people died. This is why we need better health care. We have the Obamacare right now, but we need better than that. 
But we don't get there by wiping it out and starting from zero, especially when the Republicans don't even have a plan. But I think after losing this third time in the Supreme Court, I think we maybe finally shut the door on them trying to go after Obamacare. It's 11 years after the fact, after it was started. They failed every time, just like they fail with everything else. But I think they're more intent, more interested in something else as opposed to the health care. And we know that to be them wanting to suppress voters, wanting to pass all these bills to make it harder for people of color to vote. They're intent on that. They're focused on that. They're also focused on destroying what we know as our democracy. So they're going to be pushing for those sorts of things hard and fast. They are going to have time to go after affordable health care. So maybe we've finally gotten through that one. Now, I'm not saying they won't try to attack it again, but they failed so many times, I don't know what the point would be. They're going to focus on voter suppression. They're going to focus on gerrymandering. And they're going to focus on undermining the democracy. And, you know, the thing is, I don't know that they hate democracy. They just hate the fact that they aren't winning through democracy. So if democracy has to go by the wayside for them to be winners, they're willing to do that. And unfortunately for them, that's just not acceptable in this country. No more. That's going to stop. And there are some things in place now, of course, that... uh, are going to make sure they don't succeed in that any more they, than they did with Affordable Care Act. Now, one of the other things that uh, the Democrats are trying to pass are the voting rights bill. And uh, there's been a lot of hubbub about it. Surprise, surprise, the Republicans say, we're not voting for it. Well, of course they're not voting for it. We had uh, Mitch McConnell say, They won't vote for anything that the Democrats put up. They won't allow anything to go through to to suggest that they would vote for the voting rights bill or anything else is ridiculous. It wasn't going to happen. But our sticking point has always been Representative Manchin from West Virginia. Now, he's a Democrat in name, but he often sides with the Republicans. He's kind of the linchpin in us getting this passed by the Democrats. Now, of course, in the Senate, we're 50-50, 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans. But the Democrats have the vice president, Kamala Harris, as the tiebreaker. Unfortunately, if you have one Democrat that isn't going to vote for it, then you're not going to pass it. So this gives Joe Manchin from West Virginia a lot of power that he really doesn't deserve. He doesn't represent that many people. He has people in his own state that want him to do things, but he refuses to follow what they want. He's just doing what he thinks is best, which is contrary to his job description. So anyway, um, this Voter Rights Act is a pretty simple deal. There's nothing really crazy in it. And while Joe Manchin won't vote for it, um, he's not against voter voter support or or, or voter rights to change some of the things that we're seeing the states do. So what he does 
He, he, well, he insists that there can be bipartisanism. See, Joe Manchin thinks somehow, some way, he's going to get bipartisanism. He's going to get Republicans to vote for a voter bill. And we can do everything and be buddies and friends. But we know that Mitch McConnell already said, no, we're not going to do it under any circumstances. I don't know how simple it's got to be or how much you have to do to make Manchin understand this. But then Manchin had an idea. I'll tell you about that idea right after this. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So recapping, Joe Manchin is a Democrat from West Virginia. He sides a lot with Republicans. He's very much a conservative Democrat. Democrats want to pass a voting rights bill. Republicans won't vote for it under any circumstances. And Joe Manchin says he's not going to vote for it either. And he's a Democrat. Since there's a 50-50 split, we can't pass the bill. And part of the reason Joe Manchin won't vote for it is because he believes we can have a bipartisan voting system. Well, it's supposed to be there, but we already know the Republicans said, it doesn't matter what you put up, we are not going to vote for it. So bipartisanism is just not possible based on what Republicans told us. So what does Joe Manchin do? Joe Manchin understands that the voter rights bill is important. We've got states all around the country trying to create voter suppression in their states. He's not a horrible guy like some of the Republicans. He understands that something has to be done to stop that. So he sees the voting rights bill as important. So what he does do, he comes up with a plan of his own or some additional points to put in the voter rights bill that would allow him to consent to vote for it. And he throws in some things that uh, he knows the Republicans would like, like voter ID. Now, there be many ways to offer the voter ID. Democrats have been against that for a long time. But, you know, there was a time you could bring your uh, utility bill or, or, or whatever. So he's adding into this some kind of ID necessary to vote. But it's going to be pretty flexible. And he knows the Republicans have been hot on that for a long time. So he figures if I do that and be the peacekeeper and create something that both sides like, we can get this passed bipartisan. Well, it hasn't been voted on as yet. And there's always some hope that you could see something get passed in this way. But basically, the talk we're hearing from Republicans is, now nah, we aren't going to vote for it. We aren't going to vote for anything the Democrats put up. Now, this puts Joe Manchin in a tight situation. Because nothing can get passed with the filibuster, I'll explain to you what the filibuster is. It used to be a filibuster would be you'd have to go up and talk and talk and talk and talk for hours to delay everything until somebody gives in. Well, they cut that out because it was too hard for them to do. 
All they have to say is, we're going to filibuster that, and now you need 60 votes to pass any bill. And if you've got a 50-50 Senate, nothing is ever going to pass. And we've seen it. The only uh, way things are going to pass are through reconciliation, which allows them a 51-vote simple majority, like we had with the... uh, with a COVID relief bill. But that can only work with things that have to do with the budget. So you really have to mess around with it and fudge here and there to get things done. This has nothing to do with the budget, so the reconciliation isn't an option. So now, Joe Manchin was appalled when the January 6th investigation was voted down. He couldn't believe that anybody would vote that down, but they did. The Republicans did. And that put him back on his heels. So now with this voter rights bill, he thinks, I made a compromise, and the Republicans will jump on, and I'll be the hero. Well, the Republicans aren't going for it, at least as far as I can tell right now. It could change, but it doesn't look like they will. Now, this puts Joe Manchin in a tough spot. He doesn't want to get rid of the filibuster. He thinks we can compromise with the Republicans, but he's finding out he's dead wrong, which is surprising to me because I would think Mitch McConnell would be smart enough to see the writing on the wall. While Joe Manchin says he doesn't want to get rid of the filibuster, if he's doing all he can and he finally sees the Republicans refuse to bend at all, He's going to have to change his ways if he has to go home and talk to his people, if he has to show up at work at the U.S. House of Representatives. So now Joe Banchin is in a situation where he's got to rethink his position. He's made all these claims about bipartisanism, and they just aren't happening. Everything the Democrats told him is true. They won't vote for anything. Now, Joe Manchin is a reasonable representative, And he knows that having nothing go through the Senate is a problem when you're trying to run a country who already has a ton of problems. So now Manchin is going to have to rethink this situation. And he did say at one point that um, he'd be willing to rework the filibuster, not make it go away. So there is a door, there is a crack there with Joe Manchin. And if we can work something out to either limit or get rid of the filibuster with the help of Joe Manchin, now that he's seen the true ways of the Republican Party, then we can crack this door wide open and start getting things passed with 51 simple majority votes. So keep an eye on Manchin. I know he's been adamant about not getting rid of the filibuster, but at this point, enough things he's predicted have not come through, so he's going to have to make some changes, and there'll be some negotiations, and that's the one thing you have to understand about government. Nothing in government goes fast, so you have to be patient, let things play out. Everybody knows the game, and nobody knows the game better than Joe Biden. He spent 30-plus years in the Senate. He knows how it runs. He knows a lot of people. He knows the angles to getting things done. He is the absolute best person to have in office to get things done in a 50-50 Senate. So you're going to have to be patient and watch, see if Manchin folds up a little bit because he has to. But once that happens and we get some kind of breakthrough where things can actually get done, that's when the Republicans have a problem. 
Now, I want you to understand something, too, about the filibuster. I've said this before in previous podcasts. The filibuster is a double-edged sword. And even though it's a double-edged sword, I think it's something that should be gotten rid of. See, this benefits, the filibuster benefits people in the minority. Not just Republicans in the minority, but Democrats in the minority. So, for example, when when Donald Trump was in and uh, they wanted to shut something down that Donald Trump did, the minority would just say, well, we're going to filibuster it. You need 60 votes. You don't have 60 Republicans, so it's not going to pass. It doesn't get done. So if they take away the filibuster, that's going to benefit the Democrats today. But on that day when Republicans become the majority, or when, when the Democrats are, are, are the majority, <clears throat> the minority, I should say, I'm getting screwed up here. When the Democrats are the minority, if they don't have the filibuster to rest on, then the Republicans are going to run roughshod all over them. So as much as the Democrats want to get rid of it, they better plan on keeping power, because if they lose power, then they're going to have nothing to fight back with. But here's my thought. The filibuster is just a way to cause nobody to lose. Republicans or the Democrats, if they're in the minority, they can always throw this red herring in and shut it down. But the problem with it is when they do that, whether it be Democrats or Republican, nothing gets done. This country doesn't get served. We, the people, don't get served. So our government, our House of Representatives, our Senate, don't do what they're supposed to do for this country. And this is why we have some of the problems. But for me, because I'm not Democrat or Republican, I'd like to see the filibuster gone. If people voted in 51 Republican senators and 49 Democratic Democratic, uh, senators, then we just have to live with it. But we get things done. Now, the next time, if you don't like how things went, you better get out and vote and make sure the Democrats have 51 senators and the Republicans have 49. It's about majority rules. 51 out of 100 is the majority. So they should win, whether they be Democrat or Republican. But maybe this will cause more negotiation, more interaction between the two parties. So we do have some bipartisanism because they both have enough, the same amount to win and the same amount to lose. So one party comes in with an idea that the Democrats don't want, um, They need 51 votes. And uh, maybe there's more option for compromise there because it's going to go both ways. So you can hope for the, 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 the departure of the filibuster, but understand it could come back to bite you in the ass. But I think in the end, I think it's going to be better for the government, better for this country if the filibuster is either limited or gone. We may not always get what we want, and that's not what this is about. This country is about compromise. Our government's about compromise. And we've got to set it up in such a way that that's, in fact, what happens. So we'll watch Joe Manchin and see how he goes through this process. We'll see what happens with the voter rights bill. 
I think something will get done ultimately. The things that some of these states are doing with voter suppression cannot stand. I think most people understand that. I think the voting rights bill in some shape or form will pass and will shut those people down, thankfully. Well, now the the House of Representatives did something monumental, and so did Joe Biden. They made... Juneteenth, a national holiday. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you. You may not even know what Juneteenth is. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know what it was till five years ago because nobody was teaching me what it is. But I found out. And Juneteenth is basically a celebration of the end of slavery back in the 1860s. Now, that's a pretty big deal. Why is that not already a national holiday? That's a good question. Well, I think a lot of it can be applied to racism and not caring what people of color have gone through in the past. But I would think the end of slavery would be a substantial thing, certainly as important as Thanksgiving or any of the other national holidays we have. This was a big changing point in our country, a positive movement in our country. It was the freeing of the slaves. They called it Juneteenth. They've been celebrating uh, Juneteenth uh, with people of color for decades and years. I always heard about it when I was younger. Didn't know what it was because I'm a white guy. But this is something the black community has celebrated for some time, and rightfully so. This is an important time, an important date, not only for people of color, but for this entire country. And all of us should acknowledge that. But all of us have not acknowledged it for a long, long time. It's about time. The only question I would have, why did it take so long? I also want to mention a woman who is known as the grandmother of Juneteenth. She's a lady of 94 years old. Her name is Opal Lee. Every year she fought to make Juneteenth a national holiday. Every year she got shut down for one reason or another, but not this year. Not this year because Juneteenth is a national holiday now. This Juneteenth, coming up this weekend in 2021 will be the first time it's a national holiday and it's uh, a welcome relief to this country to the people of color that have been celebrating this for decades but opal lee fought about this for well 40 years it turns out she's been fighting for this for 40 years she's now 94 years old I'm sure she thought will I ever see in my lifetime this becoming a national holiday Well, thankfully, she was, and she was at the White House today, and she was acknowledged when they announced that Juneteenth was now signed into uh, law by Joe Biden after the House of Representatives passed it, and uh, when he announced it, he acknowledged Opal Lee. In fact, he walked over to Miss Lee. She couldn't get up. I think she's in a wheelchair. Uh, He knelt down thanked her for all her efforts, showed her respect that she deserved, and uh, shook her hand. 
It's a sad thing that for, it took 40 years to get to this point. For the life of me, I still don't know why it took 40 years. But somehow, some way, it did. But again, we can't look at the negatives. We can only look at today and the future. And as of today, Juneteenth is a national holiday, as it should be. We should all rejoice the day when slavery came to an end. And we thank Opal Lee for fighting for that for 40 years. We all should thank her, not just people of color, but the white people too. It's about time that's acknowledged, that it was a tragic time in our country, a stain on this country. And when it finally ended, that was a relief for people of color and this entire country. That was a sin that should never have been committed. So thank you to Opal Lee for pushing so hard for the Juneteenth national holiday. It is now a national holiday, thanks to the House of Representatives and thanks to President Joe Biden. That is uh, that is good news. I wanted to bring a couple other things up real quickly. Uh, did you see Donald Trump on uh, Hannity on the Fox News? Yeah, he's on there. He's the, That's the only place he shows up besides OAN and some of this other bullshit places. But he was on there and he did something I don't think he intended to do, but I found it humorous. He was talking about the election fraud and all of that stuff. And he said something about, well, we projected we'd get 64,000 votes and we'd win. We got 71,000 votes and we lost. And then he said something else. He said, we thought I would win, but I lost in 2020. That is the first time I've heard Donald Trump admit that he lost. And if he's admitting that he lost, why are we doing recounts? Why are we doing audits? Why are we doing all this fighting? Aren't you Republicans listening, listening to your Lord and Savior, Donald Trump? He just admitted he lost and he did lose. He will be lost for eternity because he's never coming back. Now, there is some talk, of course, amongst the Trumplicans, the weirdos, the nutcases saying, oh, Donald Trump's going to be back in August. He's going to be reinstated in August. You'll even hear some politicians say that. And I don't know where they get it from because there's no mechanical way to get him back in office if the sky fell. But I'd like to put this out to any Trumplicans, and I'm guessing not many Trumplicans listen to this podcast. But if they do, I'd like to put this out there for them. In fact, I encourage you to. If there's any Trumplican that believes so much that Donald Trump will be in, in, in back in the presidency in August, I'd be willing to wager with them for $500. As many of you want to bet me $500 that Donald Trump will be back in office in August, I will take all of those bets. Now, you have to somehow, we have to figure out a way to put these this money someplace because I know Trumplicans, they lie, they cheat, they don't typically have money. So it wouldn't surprise me if I had 10,000 people bet me on this and then welch on it when he doesn't end up in office. Because honestly, Donald Trump is not going in to the presidency in August or any time in the future. I will bet anybody that any amount of money. And I'll put up the money if you like. 
but you've got to put up the money too. And then come August 31st, I'm taking that money because I will win. There is no question about it. So if you're out there and you talk to these clowns and you feel comfortable, offer them up a bet. It doesn't have to be $500. It could be $10. It could be $50. It could be $100. Bet them because you can't lose the bet. It's a sucker's bet. So feel free to bet these people and see how serious they are about what they believe. I think you'll find it interesting that they don't have the courage or they don't have the money or they're just not willing to do it. Or if they do bet you, they won't come through when they lose because they are absolutely losing. The uh, There's a lot of things going on in Congress right now. They're talking about, of course, the infrastructure bill. They're talking about the voting rights bill. And a lot of it's been stalled because of the Republicans not wanting to work with anybody. We talked about Manchin. That may help some things. But here's another thing that you have to think about. We've got a time constraint here. And it's because the government, the the House and the Senate are lazy bastards. For whatever reason, they take pretty much the entire month of August off. So we need to get some things done between now and August 1st, or we got to wait till September, October. And there's no time to wait for that shit. So... As much as there's a lot going on and there's a lot of hope, we have time limitations on it. So we need to keep pushing this and keep on our representatives, keep speaking out, being loud and proud and making sure some of these things get done. Because I'm not saying it can't be done in September or October, but why wait a month or two to get it done when we could just hustle our ass right now and get it done before August 1st. So keep that in mind. Everybody's going to talk about all the things they need to do. But remember, come August 1st or thereabouts, these people are going home and relaxing for a month and nothing will get done. So it's incumbent on the Democrats and all of us to make sure we get some of these things done and progress is made because you get through August. Now you're September, October. We're closing in on a year into Biden's term. We're also getting a year closer to the 2022 election. I know a lot of people think Republicans are going to win the House and the Senate and all that stuff. I don't believe that's true because of all the things that are going to come out. They are going to look horrible come 2022, and I don't think they can win. But if they do, if they win the Senate and the House, you can expect the next 10, two years to be pretty much shut down as far as what Democrats want to do. So we are under some time constraints here. We need to hustle up. We need to be loud and proud and keep pushing to make these things, make sure these things get done. All right. I'm going to wrap things up for this Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending the time with me. Don't forget to tell your friends, neighbors, colleagues, all the Rational Boomers you know to join us on the Rational Boomer podcast. The more people we have listening, the, uh, bigger voice we have and having an impact in this country and the future of the country for our kids and for our grandchildren. If you have questions, go to the anchor.fm app. You can press a button, leave me a voicemail message, or you can go to rationalboomer at gmail.com. 
leave a question or comment. And as I've said, whatever you want to say, it doesn't matter. It could be positive. It could be negative. It could be anything. But I want you to be part of the program. And it's important that you interact either with the voicemail or the email messages. I'm anxious to hear from you, hear from the people who are listening. We just had Tyler on last time, who's a 26-year-old man listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. That is impressive to me. A young man trying to learn some things from his elders when most people are trying to push us away and say we're stupid. So, Tyler, I appreciate uh, you listening, and I appreciate all you folks that are listening. Let's keep moving forward and see what we can do to do better for this country. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.